welcome to our Future of Auctions podcast series. I'm Julia Cahill and I'm joined by a fantastic panel today to talk about the role of the high street in the commercial property portfolio of the private investor. I'm joined by Richard Autorak, Chairman and Auctioneer at Commercial Property Advisor and Auction House Securitas. Anthony Ratcliffe, partner in Ratcliffe's Chartered Surveyors, which specialises in the creation and management of prime commercial property investment portfolios. Vijay Parikh, managing partner and head of commercial property investment and auctions at law firm Harold Benjamin. And James Childs, um, EG's own head of retail and industrial research. Thank you all so much for joining me. We've got 30 minutes, which is quite a short period of time on such a complex topic. So we've set ourselves these two questions. Is there a future for the private investor to invest in the high street, whether that's through auction or private treaty? And if so, what does that look like? For many cash rich private investors, the chief attractions of investing in the high street have been secure assets and reliable income. But well before the pandemic, a high proportion of high street investment stock was already leaving landlords exposed to significant uncertainty due to the, due to the weak occupational market. And now COVID-19 has pushed many high street investments even further up the risk curve. So James, could I bring you in first to give us some background on the state of our high streets? What do investors really need to know? Thanks, Julia. Um, and firstly, welcome to all our listeners today. Um, as Julia said, I've been asked to uh, set the scene, so to speak, and talk a bit about what's happening in the retail landscape and I guess to tee up um, what I'm sure is going to be a really excellent discussion. So the discussion itself is going to focus on where um, and not if there is value in high street retail for uh, budding investors out there. Um, some of the challenges that you know they are currently facing, along with what's happening in a in a fairly strained occupational market too but of course talk about where the opportunity areas are as well so i think that you know hopefully whilst i can you know pepper some flavor onto this conversation i'll leave the, the nuts and bolts to our experts today but julia do give me an audible nod if and when i do run over because i know we are um, short on time so i think the best place to start from from my perspective is probably the bottom up and it starts with um you know man on the street so you know, pre-pandemic online spend had moved upwards to around one in every five pounds being spent coming online. And of course, that's moved up um, to over 30% in some of the months of this year, according to uh, the ONS. And obviously that's, you know, that that is a short-term bump and, you know, the shops were shut for a long period, but it does show that people are still willing to spend their money, which is great um, from a consumer side. And actually, if you look at the levels of overall spend in the country overall, um, you know, the figures are quite promising as well. Again, last week, the ONS announced that, um, you know, in the previous six months of this year, spend has increased in each of those. Um, and if you compare overall spend levels to the same period last year, um, this year is actually, you know, it, it's looking quite robust, you know, despite the, the headwinds we've got people, as I said, people are still spending their money. But I think that, you know, for the purpose of this conversation, consumer habits and tech have, have for better or worse, you know, change the occupational side of of the market. So this is something that's been coming for a while. It's not because of COVID. Um, COVID has acted as the as the great accelerant, which is a, a term that you you can't dodge at the moment. Um, 
but I think that what we've seen is the traditional relationships between landlord or investor and tenant and occupier has has really evolved and this is why over the past few years we've all been talking about CVAs and administrations um, with, with such frequency and it's it's because we've reached that ceiling when it comes to you know the perceived valuation gap between what retailers can um, and want to pay for for premises against what landlords need to charge um, in order to obviously service their own debts so since the start of 2018 um, around 27 million square foot of space has closed for good due to CVAs and that's according to radius data um, and if you look at 2020 in isolation that figure um, already surpasses that combined total for the for the previous two years so it gives you an indication of where we're headed unfortunately um, now it's widely accepted that you know many retailers are using CVOs for the wrong reasons and I won't go into that into too much depth because I'm sure the panel probably will um, and also that you know that lack of support that that landlords have have received throughout the pandemic is is uh, is going to be important and obviously play on the mind of any investor at the moment so you know all of what I've just said does kind of tee up a bit of a worrying proposition for investors um, but you know the the margins between risk and reward are, are really narrow and they continue to narrow all the time. Um, and, you know, on, on the on the structural side, things have been changing as well. So analysis from Radius tells us that um, average lease lengths um, and average rents have dropped around 10, 12 percent over the past five years. And, you know, that, that in itself presents a challenge for investors as well, um, especially when it comes to that security of return that we know that they all need. Um, and you know, private investors are also going to be um, less likely to be insulated from the, the volatility of fluctuating rental returns. Um, unlike the bigger corporate landlords are able to, you know, perhaps suck up a bad few months or roll roll out turnover rents as well. So basically the crux of the conversation is certainly from my perspective is that, you know, flexibility is key for tenants, but security is, is uh, tantamount for for landlords, so this is this is the balancing act that um, we'll all face at the moment. And I think it's you know it's worth noting at this junction that around 80% of all um, high street retail is well, sorry, all retailers on our you know on traditional high streets. It's around 900 million square foot of of A1 space according to Radius, and you know it's a massive amount. Um, a lot of that stock is is probably going to be most at risk of obsolescence in the future um, and perhaps most polarizing in terms of rents as well. Um, repurposing of stock is going to be probably going to be quite important going forward. Um, it will probably you know weigh heavily on investors hearts and minds and it's something to certainly consider. Um, most experts in the market probably anticipate that we need around 20 to 40 percent less stock. Um, but you know despite that you know a lot of that sounds it sounds quite negative, but there are, you know, there is there is um, cause for celebration as well. And if you are a if you are a budding investor, as I said, because there is value out there. There's certainly value out there. It's about finding the right offer, the right place, the right price, and the right market. Um, you know, I talk to a lot of town planners and town centre managers in my role, and they they always tell me that um, they prefer um, regeneration over gentrification. Um, uh, especially over obsolescence as well. So investing in the right assets, um, you know, that serve a purpose and serve a community that 
will still generate um, a strong return in the, the short, medium and, and long term. And I think that um, especially in in, the, in this year of all years, localism is a theme that's um, that's really um, come to the fore. And you know, whilst whilst I mentioned that the occupier market is is fairly weak at the moment from the multiple perspective, independents are, are still doing extremely well. So um, I think that's probably enough from me and enough for <laughs> for the the other panelists to talk about. So. Um, Perfect, James. Thank you. I'm glad. I'm, I'm so glad you mentioned um, localism there as well, because I think that's going to come up <laughs> in our discussion yeah. going forward. Thank, thank you. Cheers. Um, so, OK, let's bring in Anthony now. Um, Anthony, you not only identify and acquire opportunities on behalf of your clients, you manage those assets too. And um, as you've, you put it on your own website, you've witnessed the devastating value destruction in the retail property sector over the last 10 years. And yet you have still managed to source very worthwhile investments. So um, briefly, if you if you will, what have been some of your recent highs and lows? Is it all about CBAs and unpaid rent to deal with for you at the moment? Or are there some upsides? Um, well, yeah, certainly right. Uh, dealing with the CVAs at the moment. Can you hear me all right? Okay. Perfect. Yeah, really? that's lovely. Yeah, Thank okay. you. Dealing with, the, dealing with the CVAs and unpaid rents at the moment is taking a huge amount of my time. Um, fortunately or unfortunately, I've got that time available because I can buy virtually nothing at the moment. So um, I'll sell very much at the moment. So um, our sort of agency side of buying and selling, which normally takes a fair chunk of my time, is pretty much moribund at the moment. And um, I'm spending a hell of a lot of time uh, in discussions with retailers, um, trying to persuade the worst of them to behave a little bit better. And the reasonable ones um, we're doing reasonable deals with. Um, but it is, it is taking a lot of time. And of course, now with this um, increasing trend that they all want to pay the rent monthly rather than quarterly, adds a management burden as well, um, which um, will accept it during this pandemic period. But after that, I really will try vigorously to restore to quarterly rents because I think for landlords, that is a very sensible protection. And I don't see that in normal times, retailers get much of a benefit from uh, paying rent monthly as opposed to quarterly, especially when we've got uh, interest rates at virtually zero. Um, but anyway, that's a, one of my hobby horses. Um, uh, you, I have prepared a short paper, which will take me about five minutes to run through. Um, so um, perhaps I'll, I'll kick off with that now, if, uh, if that's all right with you, Julia. Yeah. Yes, go go um, for it, and I'll 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 be terribly okay. rude and and <laughs> and cut you off if it, if we go too far over. But go go for it. Thanks, Anthony. Okay, right. Well, I, I've called it the post-pandemic future for high street retail property, and I probably should have put a question mark there, but I didn't. Uh, since October 2018, what the city called the Lehman Quarter but which I prefer the more relevant term for us of the Woolworths Quarter, high street retail properties seen falling rents and values. The great stumble by the financial services sector in quarter four of 2008, the increased business rates imposed in April 2010 based on peak rental values pertaining in April 2008, the online sales penetration increasing then to around 20% of retail spend, and the impact of the increased minimum wage were the four factors that created the perfect storm the retailers and the landlords had to weather between 2008 and 2012. 
Since 2010, successive governments have copped a deaf ear to the desperate pleas of occupiers and owners for the realignment of business rates with rental values that have often halved since 2008. Why is this the case? Because business rates yield some 30 billion per annum in a tax that is 98% effective and is collected for the government by the local authorities. The retail sector comprises 5% of the economy but pays 25% of the business rates bill. How unfair is that? Nevertheless, despite these burdens on the sector, by 2012, rents had stabilized and demand was returning in most of our stronger high streets. In 2015, the Conservatives were elected with a clear majority, and by 2016, the UK's economy was the fastest growing of all the G7 countries, with a centre-right government able to ease the austerity measures as public finances had been rebuilt. The future looked bright for UK PLC and commercial property over the next five years. The only fly in the ointment was the Conservative Manifesto commitment to hold a referendum on EU membership, conceded to shoot UKIP's Fox and quieten the Tory Eurosceptics. The Cameron Osborne faction saw no likelihood that the country would vote leave in the June 2016 referendum. The subsequent political turmoil, which has seen three prime ministers in four years, and the economic damage estimated to cost the UK economy £100 billion just as a consequence of the decision to leave, has now been totally eclipsed by the coronavirus pandemic, which has shattered our economy in 2020. It will probably take a decade for the UK to recover from the double whammy of Brexit and COVID. But what is remarkable is the resilience the commercial property sector has shown despite the havoc. In the 50 plus years I have been active in commercial property investments, norm yields have been 5% for shops, 7% for offices, and 10% for industrial. One fundamental reason for retail commanding a keener yield is because its obsolescence factor is minimal. Offices need an expensive refit after 10 or 15 years, and industrials need a rebuild after 20 years but shops just need a refreshing shop for every few years, and the tenant usually pays for that. Today, we see shop yields around 8%, offices around 10%, and industrials at an unprecedented 4%, as so many of these buildings are repurposed for online sales direct to the public, thereby eating more of the high street's lunch. The American politician Don Rumsfeld said there were known unknowns, but there were also unknown unknowns. Rental values post-pandemic are unknowns, and as a consequence, capital values are the unknown unknowns. The private investor is presently seeing investment opportunities to buy at auction in the high street retail sector at prices 40% or so below traditional pricing norms. So if a good high street shop investment can be bought today to show, say, 9%, with four years left on the lease to a reliable covenant, will the lease renewal at the then prevailing rental value four years hence, perhaps giving a yield reduced to 4% or 5%, still be regarded as a good return benchmarked against other asset classes or other property sectors? We do not know. It is an unknown unknown. 
But the private investors currently so active in the auctions seem to think that that is a fair bet. And so do I. Thank you. Absolutely spot on. Thank you. <laughs> that was that was fantastic, Anthony. Really, really helpful run through. Thank you. Thank you. So so let's bring um, Richard in now, who leads a business advising sellers on bringing assets to market and helping buyers to find the right investments. Richard, since the start of the pandemic, you've managed to continue to bring high street assets to market through the virtual auction room. Uh, using live stream live stream sales and also through private treaty. What would you say is the appetite for retail uh, in the virtual auction room at the moment, and and how is it different perhaps before from before the pandemic? Uh, Julia, lovely to uh, be able to join you, and thank you very much for that. Uh, the um, the last uh, six months, seven months has been a struggle for everybody. Uh, I'm absolutely delighted that we were able to continue to offer some form of market for uh, buyers that wanted to buy. And, and I assure you that the number of buyers wanting to buy exceed those that wanted to sell, uh, that, that wish to sell. And Anthony touched on this in, in his um, uh, um, piece. Um, so for us, it's it, we, we had a call it a duty to make sure the markets uh, continued to um, operate as best it could, and uh, I think that the uh, that I think that's been a remarkable effort on on our part to keep that that going, and indeed on, on the part of our, our other auctioneers as well. Um, that's I think it's been a great success. Volumes have clearly been down, but when it comes to the retail sector, what I've done is I picked out um, three um, uh, key things I wanted to say if I may, and to demonstrate them with um, examples. Um, firstly, we'll go to the best end of it, which is what is selling? Well, we all know over many years it's long lease, good covenant. But frankly, those just haven't been marketed by sellers at all. Um, those that are coming to the market will clearly command uh, yields that were uh, appropriate were were yields that were around in previous years, 2019, 2018. So um, they are equally they, they they have not fallen in in price or value at all. If you had that long lease good covenant, but they're a rarity, and owners that own them at the moment are just not like wishing to sell them. Um, but beyond that, though, you've also got the um, uh, the what I would say the um, the GLC area, the um, Greater London area, uh, where there has been um, demand that, uh, frankly, uh, has been maintained, and you don't necessarily therefore need a, a long lease and a good covenant uh, to generate very low yields for that. A pharmacy that we had in Mill Hill, Northwest London, sold off a yield of four point six percent. That was rented. Uh, we had one in South West London at uh, Rains Park uh, that sold off a yield of 6.5%. Uh, I would doubt that uh, we would have got any better price in any different market for that. Um, we had Wimbledon High Street, uh, which sold off a yield of 4.7%. And that was an estate agent. Um, but what um, is important, I think, is that uh, the residential, we call it the alternative use 
uh, of these properties um, where you have commercial on the ground floor, commercial retail on the ground floor, and then there are the upper parts. And this is where the um, property savvy investors are looking for is the potential to uh, sweat the upper parts. And we had one in, in Golders Green, uh, which sold for over £2 million pounds, uh, in the room, and that achieved a yield of just under 2% based upon the, uh, the retail rent. But of course, there was the residential above. So there are strengths in the market. I think that um, if there are alternative uses, uh, uh, and primarily that I'm referring to residential now, uh, then they're still in demand. Um, then I wanted to pick up, if I may, um, some of the um, towns, the cities that uh, that the institutions used to invest in, and just give an example of some of the things that have been happening in that market. So here you have a uh, you'd have the the cathedral cities, the, the lower the um, second rank cathedral cities. Uh, uh, you'd have there the uh, very nice market towns where private investors have traditionally invested. Uh, my first one on the list here was Chichester, for instance, uh, and that was um, again a lease that expired in in 2025. Uh, probably rented because it's a new lease, but it still looks a big rent. And that uh, sold for about a million pounds for 8.4%. I don't think people would have expected 8.4% in, in Chichester a, a couple of years ago. Another example is um, Guildford. Uh, obviously, very popular invested. Uh, we had a property there. Uh, it was let on a, a massive rent uh, to Estee Lauder. Uh, and um, that sold for over a million pounds. But the yield on that, the initial yield on that was nine and a half percent. As Anthony said, that um, when you start looking at what the rent is going to, uh, what the rent is going to be on renewal, one could say, well, actually, that equivalent yield will probably drop to maybe six percent. But as Anthony said again, it's the unknown unknowns. What will happen when that lease expires um, in in um, two two years time? It, it is the uncertainty that drives the prices lower. Um, the final one I wanted to look at in the Cathedral City was Cambridge. Um, it was uh, a, a, quite a narrow property, and um, that had a reversion, a termination in, in 24. Uh, again, a very, very big rent. It was a small property in, in Petit Curry, and um, that sold at eight and a quarter percent. So you, you, it's, it's sort of these cities are coming out at about eight to nine percent, which would have been unheard of um, previously. The final category, Julia, if I still got time, is to talk about what are, are the secondary towns. Now, these have taken the biggest hit because there's the greatest uncertainty here about the continued occupation of the national multiples in these sort of towns. So you've got here, I've got one here in Bedford, let to Waterstones, Silver Street, Bedford, um, traditionally, probably the best spot in Bedford, and um, that uh, has a new lease to Waterstones and uh, on a rolling break. And to keep Waterstones there, the landlord had to agree a rent of £15,000 for an almost 5,000 square foot unit. Uh, and that sold uh, at £411,000, 3.5%. Now, clearly, uh, I think that's a very interesting rebasing of that that investment. And despite the risk to it, 
you don't buy properties in Bedford, uh, frankly, uh, in that location for 400, you know, just over about 400,000 pounds. Uh, that probably will be seen um, by Anthony as, as an opportunity. Another one in Gloucester. Gloucester's always been a very interesting city. Um, it's again, uh, this is a short lease. Uh, and this uh, was sold. This is um, uh, Northgate Street, Gloucester, so well known. It's the whole building, 5,000 square feet. It sold for £236,000. And there was competition for it. But the competition didn't push it any further than £236,000 for 5,000 uh, 5, square feet. Um, and the final one I wanted to say uh, was, well, Royal Leamington Spa. We've been very active in Royal Leamington Spa. This is a single let shop in the parade, the best location. Uh, and that sold for just over 10%. That was single let lockup shop with the lease expiring in 2025. Um, um, again, people just don't know where that sort of location is going to end up. So I hope that gives you a flavour. I, I did it in three there, Julia. It was um, what people do want to buy, uh, where the the traditional institutional uh, cities and market towns have got to, and also, frankly, towns that um, were of institutional quality, but where no one really knows where the bottom is. Mm. No, I thought that was really interesting. And the, the stories behind some of those yields are, yeah, are, are fascinating. Um, Let's um, move to VJ. Let's bring you in here because um, uh, Rich has given us such a, a good sort of snapshot there of those different areas of the market. And I wondered from your point of view, I mean, you're, you work very closely with private investors. Um, what, what do they need to be looking at to continue investing? Um, what, what are the sort of key areas of concern that you sort of work with them on at the moment? Uh, thank you, Julia. Morning. Um, great to be on this panel. It's it's important to have a look at um, the history of the private investor. If we if we go back a little bit, um, say pre credit crunch, where investors were were looking at blue chip covenant uh, assets in the auction, and auctions provide a, a very very good way in which private investors um, have access to properties, as private investors don't. Um, generally have access to agents who, who can provide them um, properties and, and auctions provide a very good platform. And a lot of private investors have built their portfolios through auctions. Um, they, were, they were acquiring assets such as a, a Barclays Bank sell and lease back for, for 10 years um, at a yield of 5% or even sub 5% where, where funds being held in savings were probably yielding them same same amount of money. Um, they would fund most of those assets through loans, um, and and then the credit crunch um, hit, and and a number of investors were badly uh, affected by the banks and and the borrowing and LTV, the loan to value covenants being breached. Um, private investors then got a little bit more. Um, savvy in terms of how they invested. They invested and looked at alternative to the long lease investments and also funding. They, they generally can um, fund in, in a cash basis as opposed to 
uh, buying assets through bank funding. There is bank funding in, in certain circumstances, but generally the private investors who have come to the auction uh, in recent years are parking something away for their pension or, or return on, on, their, on their money, which is not giving uh, adequate interest. Um, the market then, uh, through the through the Brexit uh, vote, um, was affected again because there was a lot of uncertainty regarding uh, commercial investments and, and commercial property in general. Um, and what we found that private investors were becoming quite choosy in terms of um, acquiring assets where they could add some value or, or create some value by changing the use of the upper parts if there were residential elements to them. And and then we're then we faced coming out of the Brexit side of things, we're faced with the coronavirus pandemic. So and, and this has had a had a massive impact on private investors and, and commercial property in a number of ways. But one of them is that the the government have legislated under the Coronavirus Act 2020, which provides a moratorium to tenants, um, preventing landlords from exercising a right for possession of properties or enforcement of rent um, for proceedings. So that means that effectively a number of tenants are able to, whether they can pay the rents or not, um, to use the opportunity of delaying payments or not making any payments whatsoever, which leaves landlords in a very difficult position, coupled with um, the risk of CVAs, and, and a number of CVAs happened prior to um, 2020, during 2018 and 2019, which had meant that private investors where, where previously would look at location, length of lease and covenant and, and would, would always um, invest in those um, properties where the, the tenant would be a blue chip investment or, or a, um, a strong covenant we're moving towards a local covenant or, or a local tenant, um, a tenant who they would see perhaps on their high, on their own high street or that they know that that particular um, tenant would be able to make the rent by just looking at how many people are coming in and out of their shops. So there has been a shift and that has been, that has been brought forward in terms of um, the, the, during the pandemic, we, we've seen a number of clients investing in smaller retail units with local covenants and local tenants who they feel that are going to meet the lease obligations as opposed to relying upon the major corporates who would at some stage perhaps um, have a CVA or, or use, the, use the ability of not making the rental payments. We found that a number of our clients who own assets with a number of corporate tenants, um, and we know that they're trading well, um, and some of them who are pharmacy uh, tenants have, have failed to pay the rents because they can choose to do so. Now, the difficulty which lies ahead is that with the coronavirus legislation that no action can be taken against tenants, may get extended from December of this year 
into March next year. Now, if you take that period, that will be a one-year period whereby some tenants have paid no rent. Um, and it will be very difficult for many tenants to, to pay the arrears and then make the obligations to pay um, the rent going forward. And therefore, I believe that we're going to see a number of CVAs from the larger corporate tenants going forward um, at the end of this year and beginning of next, and that will have an impact. Uh, and I can see certainly from our client investor groups, they are they are working away from um, the larger corporate tenants. And there has been a move to localism in, in the sense that those that those units which are on the local high streets have been operating better during um, the pandemic um, as people are working from home and are able to go out and use the local high street more than they would normally. So I, I can certainly foresee that there is a future uh, for investment, but it is about um, the opportunity and looking at the local tenants um, looking at those tenants who are going to make the obligations of their rents and perhaps a smaller tenant or a local tenant is more appropriate and looking also at the alternative use of the upper parts and, and extending the re residential side of things. So, On, on that point, BJ, do you, do you think um, with the alternative uses, do you think most private investors are really prepared to, to create an alternative use and to sort of follow that through? Um, or is it something they'd look at um, and we've sort of seen, want to move an asset on? Yeah, we, we, we've seen a number of uh, clients who have, um, who have not previously been involved in um, residential or small residential conversions or developments. They have, they have started to dip their toe into that area. Um, some have taken the opportunity to obtain the planning permission and then sell the assets on. Um, so there's different ways in which individuals are making assets sweat. Um, but I can certainly see that that is, a, that is an option uh, and I can see that that is a growth area. Mm -hmm. Okay, that's that's fantastic. Thank you all. You've you've really sort of um, brought to life this, you know, the fact that there are these tremendous opportunities out there, um, and yet this backdrop of uncertainty and 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 how the private investor needs to sort of grapple with that. So I think um, each of you still sees a place for the high street in the commercial property portfolios of the private investor. Um, but I wondered whether to wrap up in three words each, I, what, what does that future actually look like? How would you summarize it in three words? Um, James, can I drop that bombshell on you first? That's not fair. <laughs> um, would you like me to come back to you <laughs> no no of course not i'm joking um, thanks thanks everyone that's really really interesting some great content there from from everybody i think um from my perspective if you're looking for free free words or maybe key you know free key themes might be easier i think the, the big one for me is 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 local um i don't think that um investors should be should be put off at all by um, doing, you know, thorough research into areas that perhaps they they may not have done, which includes, as the panelists have, have already said, you know, different different markets, different geographies. Um, flexibility from an investor perspective is can only be a good thing. Uh, you know, the the occupational market is becoming increasingly flexible, and I think that investors need to uh, be willing to, um, you know, to 
to to adapt to that if they haven't already. And another one kind of ties into the last one really, but it's about um, alternative use types as well. I think that you know if you take into account that we perhaps we do need less retail space. That's not saying that the um, the, the stock that's left behind isn't of value either. You know, it's a, it's almost a bit of a polarization of if we take away some of the stuff that is isn't so hot at the moment, then uh, the stuff that left behind is only going to increase in value as well. So you know, perhaps investors could uh, you know can um, c can look into look into that side of things as well. So um, I think that's three. Might be four or five, but <laughs> I got at least three there, <laughs> Anthony. Three, three words from you. What, what, what does that, what does that future look like? For... It's a very interesting challenge, Julia. It, um, it is. It's a cruel is one. There isn't a future it? for the private investor, the best high street in three words. <laughs> um, yes, and the, my three words are stability, security, and yield. Okay. Yeah. Perfect, Richard. Right. Um, yeah, well, uh, from my point of view, um, uh, one will be uh, income. Uh, that's what uh, the investor want, want income, thanks. They'll want a yield or return. Uh, Anthony mentioned yield. Uh, they'll want a return, uh, which we mustn't forget that, of course, um, in an area where we're going to, where we've been in negative returns in some asset classes, uh, a positive return from property is very attractive. And also flexibility, um, and that's flexibility for the occupier as well as the investor. Um, bearing in mind this is bearing in mind that um, historically um, private investors have looked to retail uh, for almost the vast majority of their um, investment um, sector. Um, you know, 65 to 80 percent of investments made by private investors are in the retail sector. Um, that I think it's very, very important that there is investable stock. Mm -hmm. um, and um, I think um, if I had a fourth one, um, two, it would be um, investable stock. Okay. So see seeking out the right investable stock. Uh, well, um, no, actually, no, more fundamentally than that, the supply of investable stock. It has to be stock. there, yes. Okay. Uh, absolutely. And, and Rishi Sunak has said that, you know, going forward over the next five, ten years, He's seeing um, commercial property as a significant investment class. Mm. And that was announced last week, I think you'll find. Mm. Um, and if there's not an investable stock there, um, that, that's um, a lost opportunity. Mm -hmm. OK, thank you. OK, DJ, three words. What, do, what does that future look like for the yeah, private so investor? Local, selection and use. And yeah. use, okay. Yeah, so you're 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 going to find that there is is more of a shift to local. Um, the the investors are going to have to be selective in terms of their approach and do some real due diligence on the on the local tenants, and and they'll find that they'll be happy with those, and and it will be the use. And when we talk about alternative use, yes, there will be alternative use to residential potentially, but there's also alternative use within the same commercial class. I was talking okay. to someone yesterday who is establishing a number of commercial units which are going to just be 
they, they call them dark kitchens, but effectively there's no um, restaurant space. It's just a takeaway kitchen function. So that, that that's an alternative use and an alternative way in which um, people are going forward. Yes, it's not all just about resi or whatever. Yeah. Okay. So we are out of time there. So thank you all so much to all of our panel. Um, and thank you for listening. Um, for further auctions and private investor coverage, look out for the rest of this podcast series and for the print coverage in our 12th of December issue. Thank you. Thank you for joining us for this episode of the EG Property Podcast. We hope you found the content insightful and helpful. If you'd like more of the same and to keep up with all the latest news, views, analysis and research that the EG Group has to provide, be sure to sign up to all of our property podcasts and subscribe to Radius Data Exchange for unlimited access to all of our content and comprehensive commercial real estate data. (laughs) 